0: Hello, and welcome to The Advance, conversations about news and the Mid-America Union Conference of the Seventh-day Adventist Church. I'm Pablo Colindres, Digital Media Manager at the MAUC. This week, I chat with Cedric Belcher, Senior Pastor at the St. Louis Northside Church in St. Louis, Missouri. His new book, More, When Sufficient is Not Enough, is available now. Could you introduce yourself please
1: yes my name is Cedric Belcher um, currently I am a pastor in the Seventh-day Adventist Church and I pastor the um, Side Seventh-day Adventist Church in St. Louis Missouri I'm married uh, to a wonderful beautiful lady my name is Sonia Gray Belcher Dr. Sonia Gray Belcher and we have three wonderful kids
0: okay all right, now we're here because um, I finally read your book. Uh, you've published a book, and I've uh, got it right here. It's called More, uh, When Sufficient is Not Enough. And um, uh, I, I really enjoyed the book. Uh, I might say the first time we had this conversation, I hadn't been able to read it. But this time around, uh, I got it last night, and I read it all in one night. So. Wow. <laughs> yeah, it was really good. I really enjoyed it. Um, And so I guess the first question is, why why did you decide to write the book?
1: Well, uh, there are several reasons uh, that precipitated me writing the book. One, um, things were happening so quickly in my own personal life from one stage to another. and, And several people came into my life at strategic periods to help me. And over the years, I've not had time to look back and tell those people, thank you for what they've done for me and mm-hmm. helping me to be where I am. So this book is a tribute to all of those people, some of whom, I, if you look in the acknowledgement, I acknowledge a whole lot of people. And I'm sure I might, yeah, have, forgotten, I, I might have forgotten some <laughs> others as well. But I noticed a, you
0: acknowledged uh, someone, the, the person who gave you your first job experience. The that's right. Who got you in contact with that person. Yeah, I, I did see that. Yeah,
1: so I so so number one is a tribute to these individuals who touched my life, who changed my life, who helped me to become who I am right now. And number two, I wanted to uh share my story. Uh my story mm-hmm. of, of struggles, of ups and down, and how in the midst of struggles and ups and down that you you can survive if, if you have the right mindset, the right attitude, the right connection with God, you can survive. And thirdly, I wanted to leave something behind for my kids. My kids have started mm-hmm. reading, the summertime to read 20 books each. And I just wanted to leave something behind for my kids that they can tap into and they can look at my story. And hopefully my story can be a source of inspiration to them uh, in their own life's journey that they can look back and say, if my dad did this, I think I can do the same thing as well.
0: Right, yeah. So I, I guess uh, we can start with, this. this book goes over your life story. Mm-hmm. Um, so w- where are you from? Let's start with that for people who haven't read this book. Um, I was born in Liberia, West
1: Africa. Liberia, West mm-hmm. Africa is a country in, in Africa founded by free slaves who left America and went to Africa. It's positioned between Ivory Coast, Sierra Leone, Guinea, and the Atlantic Ocean. Today, so I was born to an African-American father and to
0: an African mother. You start off the book straight off the bat with a story about you and some stairs, and I, I remember the first conversation we had that was like one of the key points you wanted to to really bring home, and I guess it's it's almost like your origin story if you could if you could really uh, call it that. Uh, tell me about that real quick,
1: um, Pablo. That story was positioned strategically, and pretty much that story epitomizes the entire book, and. I was about seven years old. My mom lived with her uncle and their family. And um, so we all, about two families live in the same house. And one of the ladies in the house asked me to take the trash downstairs. And I took the trash uh, on a flat uh, woven basket, we call it a fanner. And I positioned okay. it on my head and I was going down the stairs. And I, 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 I thought about how the ladies um, in the country were will we'll, we'll go to market, will go to places, they will have things on their head and they will just balance it so well on their head that they did not have to hold it. So I said, you know what, I can do the same thing too. So I left my hand, I left the hand and the stairs had no rail so there's nothing to hold. And I up up the today, I don't know exactly what happened to me. What I slipped, What well, I, I don't know, but all I knew is that I tumbled over like Humpty Dumpty, I fell down. <laughs> and, and where I fell down I could have died because the fall, it it was difficult to thread that fall through such a small window. One, two, my head landed two inches from the septic tank. In other words, I could have crashed, landed on the septic tank. I could have been dead. And so that experience for me is, is a life lesson about how my entire life was going to be threading my life through difficult windows, difficult uh, st- struggles, and hardship and pain, and so forth, but yet through it all, God was able to help me position myself to where um, where I am today. So that chapter was strategically placed there as an epitome, as a lesson
0: of what my life story has been. Right. Um, I, I really enjoyed the the first chapters of your book because you go into great detail describing your family and. And your mom and your and your and your and your father and and your grandparents as well. Um, it, it strikes me that you had a a even if it might not have been as close as you'd like, a really important relationship with your family. Typically
1: African American families
0: um
1: are very closely related. Uh and I think you find that in mm-hmm. other cultures as well. You find it in the Hispanic culture right. as well. We're very close knit. So everybody is family. You can be um a, a cousin, I call you. We we'll call you sister. You know, uh, you right, can be yeah. a, a aunt. I call you mother. So, so there is no such thing as a step brother, step this or step that. We all are related. So, because right. of that, and because the family, the family in, in in our culture and context, the family is the one that helps to ground ground everybody. The family is the one that helps to bring everybody around. So, there is a close relationship within the family that is helpful. It helps to nurture. It helps to support. It helps to empower, or uh, individuals within that family group. So I wanted to spend. Mm-hmm. A, 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 I try to spend a considerable amount to just kind of share my, uh, my family background, to share how how pretty much we're playing. I was I was into two different cultures, two different contexts at two different times with my mom, right. and my mom's. My mom, my dad, and his his, his upbringing, and my mom. And my mom, I think she was very strategic in allowing us to spend time with her side of the family so that we could be acclimated to her culture and and those kind of things. And I think it was very helpful for me.
0: Yeah, and I think you mentioned uh, often with your dad and also with your grandfather from your mom's side that uh, really the the one thing they held on to was hard work. And um, you know, come I'm an immigrant myself and uh, um my grandparents as well with little education, but you know, they're 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 still working <laughs> really late into their years and um uh, what kind of effect did that, that focus on hard work, what kind of effect did it have on you? Oh, um again, it came from both sides.
1: My dad uh he had a strong work ethics. Dad was, was a was a hard worker. And so he became mm-hmm. very successful in in his business, in his business dealing. And then on my mother's side of the family, my grandfather, uh, he worked hard. He came from nowhere and he rose to, to permanent position uh, within his culture. I saw the, 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 the time, the energy, the effort they put in, and I saw the results of the effort. And so that mm-hmm. that helped me and pretty much I kind of store those information in the back of my mind and maybe it was part of my DNA so who I, what I am right now is a combination of all of those people all of those ethics, all of those tributes, all of those attributes coming together and I'm saying to myself if they can do it in their own context I think I can do it because I have people to look up to people who have done it
0: before and I can look up to them and say if they can do it I can do the same as well Right, yeah, I really related with something you, you wrote about your brother, um, and that you said that you might have n- never told him before, but that you looked up to him as your hero. And I have the same experience with my brother as well. Uh, you know, I may have never told him, but I think he's you know the coolest person in the room every time he walks in, and um, yeah, I, I I think it's it's nice to see um, you know examples of. of tight-knit families, you know, uh, where a, a family has to be your your, your net, your, your, uh, your support group, right? Yes, definitely. Yeah.
1: And, 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 and Pablo, if I may just say something quickly. My brother yeah. and I, we, 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 we bummed heads a lot. And my mom had to mediate a lot of time. But with all of those things, he was my hero. He was my hero. And when I wrote the book, and I sent him a draft of the, 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 the manuscript, because I wanted to make sure that my information, at least from my, his side, uh, was correct. And he read it, and he was like, wow, I didn't know that's how you thought about me. Because we bump heads a lot. But even though we bump yeah. heads a lot, I, I really looked up to him. I really admire for who he was, the person who was, his integrity. And, and And the skills and gifts that God has given them. and we all need to have people like that around us, maybe in our family, in our association that that can help inspire us and, and help us to to move to the next level.
0: agreed. yeah. and I think one of the best parts of the book um was you know at the end of the book, there you have actual photocopies of letters that you were sent to you for you by your brother and stuff that i I read it, I read that and I was. Uh, it really brings you into the book. and makes you relate to, to what you're what you're telling, um, and I guess uh, we can start because your book really starts picking up speed around chapter three, and the the title makes an allusion to another great uh, work of uh, uh, of literary, um, uh, and you call it "Things Fall Apart," um, so how did what what happened? If you can walk us through that real quick.
1: Sure. Um Things Fall Apart uh it's 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 from a title of a of a book that I read when I was in school. A book yeah. by I think it's by Chino Achibi
0: called right, Things yes. Fall
1: Apart. Mm-hmm. Um and so that story uh um was drawn from there, and all I was trying to say was that my life was going very well. Even according to our standard, I was, my family, my daddy's, my dad's the family was on the upper echelon of society. So things were going very well. I had nothing to worry about. Everything I needed, I had it. Until, mm-hmm. for example, there was a coup. And, and that coup disrupted the country, brought in the military government. And my uncle that I was living with, I call him uncle, Uncle Frank, uh, he was in the mm-hmm. military. And so we were all uprooted. One day, one night, we got a call. We got to leave the house. There is a there is a coup d'etat in the country. And so we had to leave the house. Took few possessions. We left the house. But but actually, it started when my mom decided she had to go to uh, the States because she had some medical condition. And she left, so we had to stay with, with relatives. And then that coup came about, and then it disrupted the country. And then from there... Like you said, the book starts to take steam, and my life Mm -hmm. just starts to go in different direction, at different places, at different points. And the object lesson is that nothing is stable, nothing is guaranteed. That in a moment, in the split of a time, life can just change just like that. And the question Mm -hmm. is, what do you do when life, when things fall apart? What do you do when things around you start to fall apart? When things that you trusted in, that you had hope in you, that you had hope in, start to fall apart? that's where character is forged. That's where uh, uh, right. character is
0: built. Yeah. And uh, uh, during this point, you ended up being, uh, you ended up at a refugee camp. Um, how long were you a, a refugee in, 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 Quatu- in Cote d'Ivoire, right? Yes. Um,
1: okay. I was a refugee for about a year, maybe a year and a couple of months. Yeah. Um, For us as Liberian refugees, it was a little bit different from other refugees. Reason being, because this was the first time that we have ever been, our country has ever been displayed. And so we had a lot of relatives outside of Liberia, Africa, who were sending us money. So it was a different kind of situation, yet being away from home, being away from conveniences, being away from the normal flow of life was difficult. Then we had to keep ourselves busy. We had to keep our mind busy because there was actually no work to do, nothing to do. So during those times, I kind of occupied myself with reading and speaking engagement and being involved with a church. But a life of a refugee, (laughs) I never expected (laughs) that to happen to me. And it it, it was just one of those situations in life where... um, I had to learn, I had to grow, I had to depend, and I had to trust, and I had to dig deep down into myself and say to myself that this is temporary, it is not permanent. This is mm-hmm. temporary, it is not permanent. I'm going to go through this, and I'm going to be better when I come
0: out of this. Right. I spent a Sabbath morning with a ref- refugee church in St. Paul, Minnesota just a couple of weeks ago, and... um uh, even here in town, where I teach ESL, every once in a while I'll I'll be teaching some refugees, and they told me that sometimes the hardest thing in a refugee camp isn't you know the living conditions or anything, but it's it's just finding something to do since uh, you're stripped of uh, of basically all normalcy, really. Yes, yeah. and, and 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 like
1: you said, it is finding purpose in in where you are, wherever you are, and that's why I tell a story about Victor Franco. Uh, in one mm. of my object lessons, Victor Franco, he was at yeah, the worst. Search for Meaning. That's right. Uh, he writes a book called Man's Search for Meaning. And he was at one of the worst concentration camps. As a, as a matter of fact, he, he went through, I think, three or four of them. And out of that, he was able to find meaning and able to find purpose. He did not allow his circumstances to demoralize him so much so that he gave up on life. But he was able to find meaning and purpose. Out of that, he came. Out of that, became uh, became one of the foremost uh, authority when it when it comes to, to 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 the human mind and so forth. So yeah. again, again, in every situation, we can find meaning and purpose in so that that situation is temporary and not permanent.
0: You eventually did make it to the U.S. and um, you relate your your story into getting into Oakwood.
1: Yeah, um, my Oakwood experience started. Back in Liberia, we used to have a telecast of the Breath of Life. Breath of Life is um, is, is sponsored by, it's, it's, a, it's, it's one of the ministries of the North American Division. Uh, at that time, uh, Charles Brooks, uh, C.D. Brooks was the uh, speaker. And, and so we used to have it Sunday morning. And one day, uh, they beam the telecast from Oakwood campus and the um, the. The choir was singing, and I, and I saw it, and I was like, wow, i love to be at that place. I would like to be at that campus. I'd like to go to that school. And so I still had that, that desire to attend Oakwood College, even though I came on a scholarship that was provided by uh, the Rhode Island uh, state, state Legislators. But um, mm-hmm. one day, my, uh, we were invited to go and sing, and, and I was asked to speak at a, a church, And my brother told me, he said, look, man, why don't you just ask the church, tell the church you want to go to school, you want to pursue pastoral ministry, you don't have the funding, and um, just make an appeal. I was like, man, I can't do that. That's not my church. (laughs) Uh, So he said, but you can try. So I thought about it, and afterwards, I did. And then after church, a Caucasian couple, Bill and Reggie Arujo, they met with my family, and they said to us, look, uh, we felt impressed to help uh, 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 Cedric to go to Oakwood. We don't have too, many, too much money. We can only pay for his first quarter's tuition. At that time, we are on a quarter quarter system, it was three quarters. And so they mm-hmm. paid 3,000 and some more dollars for me to get to Oakwood. That was the only time at, at Oakwood for four years that my tuition was ever paid in full.
0: <laughs>
1: um, everything other than that, I had to work. I worked in the cafeteria. Um, then I got a job at the men's dorm, the upper men's dorm, to be a um, assistant student dean, or student dean rather, and that helped me with uh, room and board, and I still had to struggle for tuition and everything. After that was just a struggle, but again, God brought me through. And and the key lesson here is that if you have a mind to do something, if you set your sight on something to be done. Life will bend over backwards and make room for you to accomplish what you set your mind to do. Many a times in life, we don't set our mind, set our goals, set our passion, set our willingness, set our desire, set our awe to accomplish things. And so life does not bend over backwards to do that. But once you set your mind goal, life will part just like the Red Sea and make room for you to accomplish your life mission. And so it was a struggle. It was a struggle. Even to graduate uh i didn't even know i was going to graduate and and then quick story from the book uh Mm -hmm. for graduation you had to to make sure that you're financially clear so on that day of rehearsal i knew they were going to call my name but they did not call my name so i went to the person who was calling the names and i said look you forgot to call my name he said what's your name i said belcher cedric belcher he looked on the list he said your name is not there i said my name Yeah, because you are owed some money about thousands of more dollars he said belcher your name is not there i said no he said your name is not there i said can you tell me how come he said somebody might have paid your bill up till today i don't know who paid my bill for me to graduate Hmm. and that's how i was able to work my way through oakwood doing some odd jobs doing molding some lawn and so forth and and then people friends coming in and helping me again if you have your mindset if you have the right mindset the right goal desire passion life will bend over backwards to help you accomplish your goal
0: yeah and i think if you uh again going back to you know the, the the role models you had growing up there's some there's a there's a line there that really struck a chord with me as well um in that you looked at what you needed to do. And you, you almost felt obligated. You you knew you had to work hard to achieve what you had to do. And um, I feel like that's that's a line that every immigrant can can can, can, can relate to. You know, you knowing that um, even giving ninety two percent is just not enough. You have to give everything at all times. So you feel like you have to. Uh, you mentioned that. You know, your experience, not just as an as a immigrant, but also as a refugee, um, how, do, how does that affect the way you go about with, with your congregation, with, your, uh, with the people that surround you right now?
1: Out of that experience comes compassion.
0: Because again,
1: life was going very well for me. I had everything I needed. I did not need anything. I was up on the upper echelon of society, from at least from my mom's side, my dad's side. My mom was kind of middle class. So we had pretty much everything. And then out of a sudden, things changed. Country changed. I had to leave and become a refugee. And out of that experience, I've learned about compassion, that we have to be compassionate about other people's situation and circumstances. We have to be listen with their ears and see with their eyes not just our eyes and our ears. We have to listen with their ears and see with their eyes. That's the only way we can help. And, 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 and that for me ties into the discourse that is taking place in this country, especially as it relates to immigrants. Right. Um, this country, what this country offers is opportunity. Opportunity that is on a blank sheet of paper. It's as if when you come to this country, you have a blank sheet of paper. That blank sheet of paper is called opportunity. Mm-hmm. You are able to script on that blank sheet of paper whatever you want. And whatever you set your mind on, whatever you set your heart on, whatever you set your mind and soul and body on, you can scribble it on that piece of paper, and by God's grace, you can accomplish it. So what this country offers people is opportunity. We 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 have never ever said you are going to come to this country because you you are educated or because you are a professional person. No, we said you're going to come to this country because we have an opportunity for you. If you Mm -hmm. grab hold of this opportunity, you can make a difference not only for your life, but for this country. For us to staffle that, it goes beyond our founding principle. It goes beyond our ethics. It goes beyond what this country stands for. As great as Russia might be, people are now running to Russia. As great as other countries might be, China, people are now running to China. They are running to the United States. Why? Because we have opportunity on a blank sheet of paper that we can hand anybody and say, if you're willing to, you can achieve whatever you want to. And by achieving whatever you want to, you can bless this country, you can change lives, you can change this country. And so for me, it's compassion. We have to have compassion and that's what it taught me as a refugee
0: yeah and uh, you almost fit the bill for everything that's uh, that certain people want to wipe out from or or at least uh, try to minimize in this country you know you're you're black you're immigrant and you're a refugee and those all have been uh, hot topics in the the last couple years I would think I would like to touch on on some of that as well because you where you are as right now pastoring uh, you could say is is almost ground zero for what what started happening uh, lately um, with uh, with Ferguson with the with what happened there, um, and it's it's it just hasn't stopped since. Um, I don't know it was I don't know it was a problem before that as well, but this the, that was the first time it came out into the limelight. And how have you been able to uh, deal with? with things like uh, Ferguson or Charlottesville last year, with the youth in your church, uh, what kinds of ways do you guys uh, approach that?
1: I was in Lincoln when I was pastoring and Ferguson took place. Mm -hmm. Uh, My predecessor, along with all of the the, um, Adventist pastors in the city, joined with the pastors in the city to first of all see how they could provide uh some needed supplies for the community um how we could try to de-escalate some of the, the the things that was happening how we could partnership with other auxiliaries to see how we could come together and bring the community together so that was before me so when i went all of those things were already in place all those things have already been taking place there are still some issues that are still been worked out still been discussed um about policing communities and, and how policing minority community uh what is happening with that with that aspect. As much as you know we, 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 we appreciate what policing is doing for the community, they also have to take into consideration how minorities are treated.
0: So that right.
1: dialogue is still going on. And then we have to tell turn around and tell our young people, well as we continue to work through that process, you need to make sure that you govern yourself in a certain way. There are certain rules that you need to make sure that you follow when you're pulled over, when you've been talked to, uh, so that it doesn't rise to a level of escalation in the mind of anybody else, and then tragedy takes place. And, and then we need to find ways of engaging our youth and young people into productive activities uh, we need to find jobs. We need to, how do we create jobs in the community uh, for young people? Um, um, how do we uh, look at work? How do we create all of those things? So those are some of the issues that the community is still talking with. And those are some of the things that we're still needing to dialogue with our young people and help position and go to school, uh, f- uh, uh, um, find careers and jobs, uh, placement that can, that can help you be productive, give back to the community or get mm-hmm. back in in, in in community services. Um that can help other less fortunate people as well. But again, it takes it takes dialogue. It takes coming mm-hmm. together. It takes talking. It takes putting together our prejudices and sitting down at a table and having real dialogue and saying, This is our community. We need to come together as people of this community to see how best we can improve this community because if this community is not improved it's going to impact all of us it's going to affect all of us and that means too we got to put some resources into our communities right. to change the community and not just one segment of our community but every segment of our community.
0: Yeah from, from what I gather then it's um, uh, starting those hard conversations by giving back to the community as much as possible. Yes. Yes. Right. That's right the cover of the book here has uh, a, a really specific design um, again the, the title of the book is more what's sufficient is not enough and then the, the, the cover design is, is two hands and it's forming something special and you told me about it last time so can you tell me again what it is and, and, why, and why you decided to put that on there
1: sure um, when I gave the concept to um, the person who was designing the cover, uh, he gave me several several um design and I looked at it. The one he showed me what they had several hands lifted up and I was like, no, that's not what I want. So my wife and I we started talking about it. This was one of the first time that I was sharing some some aspect of the book with her after she had looked at the earlier manuscript. And so The title, More When Sufficient is Not Enough, is is just saying that life has given all of us more. And for me, more is the ability to think, the ability to speak, the ability to listen, the ability to craft a vision for the future that you can work toward. Life has given all of us that. But even with that, it's not sufficient because at the end of the day, whatever life has given to us must be used to bless others must be used to change lives, must be used to change community. So our gift back to life is our service, is our mission. So when I shared that concept with my wife, she said, well, why don't we do this? Why don't we take the sign language for more and put it on the book? I mm-hmm. said, wow, it makes sense. Because when our first child was born, uh, we, we started um, allowing her to listen to to baby einstein sign language and so she listened to it and she did a whole lot of signing and one of her favorite signing was when she wanted to get more food when she wanted to get more food she did like this more <laughs> more so that tied in to um our daughter when she was born and that tied into the whole concept of more is not just to acquire things for yourself more is to get it and to give it back to society give it back to community Give it back to life and say, how can
0: my life be a blessing to help others become better? Those little 100 lessons that you gave. Wow. And you just gave us one here. Um, you call them vulturisms I've heard them called Belcherisms before. And uh, um, throughout the book, there are 46 different vulturisms that you have out there. Um, at least that you have uh, noted as your tip of the day. And so... Um, and you also give room for people to write down their own uh, their own thoughts and and and, and, and tips. Um, so what's the message you want to leave with people that read this book? And I know you've touched on it a bit with uh, with what you want with your kids, what you want with the with the with the title and the cover, but what's the, the overarching message you want to leave with readers? What I want readers to
1: understand is this that all of us can emerge Uh, from insurmountable odds to impossible heights if we strive for more, a more that ultimately leads to making this world a better place for others. Whatever you're going through, you can make it if you're striving for more. And at the end of the day, let that more lead to making this world a better place for others. I want, at the end of the day, if there's a stone tombstone i wanted to be said uh, that for belcher that i want more from life so i can give more back to life i want to live life in such a way that if a tombstone becomes necessary it you
0: simply say more hmm. that's a good Belcherism to end on <laughs> <laughs> yeah. thanks so much for joining me and I'm, uh, again really <laughs> this is the second time i've had this conversation um uh, yeah, thank you so much for, for, for joining me. Um, I know you can get this, you can also buy this book in several places. Do you, want, do you mind plugging it?
1: <laughs> sure. Uh, this book has been so tremendous in the first couple of uh, weeks that it has gone out. A lot of people have read it like you. They've read it some in one day, in two days. My mother read this book. My mother is 70 some years old. She read this book in two days. And wow. she called me and she started, she started crying. She said, oh, this is just tremendous. So we've been having a whole lot of people who have been blessed by the book. You can get this book on Amazon.com or you can go online to Barnes & Noble and get this book. Or you can go to the publishing company called Zulon. That's X-U-L-O-N. Zulon. Get the book. Type, or when sufficient
0: is not enough. Okay. All right. Thank you so much. That was Cedric Belcher. Uh, thank you so much. And hopefully we can have you again. sometime. talk about something different. <laughs> All right. We'll thank do. you. Thank you for listening to The Advance. Please join us next time.